This is episode 17 of the Home and Family Culture Podcast. I'm Jody Chafee, and in this episode, I interviewed Wendy Ulrich, a psychologist and founder of 16 Stones Center for Growth. Welcome to the Home and Family Culture Podcast, where I discuss how families can discover and design their collective vision, values, beliefs, and traditions that influence their family culture. The purpose of my podcast is to interview experts who can offer tips and tools to aid families in the process of developing their family culture, and also successful individuals whose success was influenced by their family culture. For more information or to subscribe, go to homeandfamilyculture.com, or you can find me on Instagram, Facebook, and Pinterest at Family Culture Podcast, and on Twitter at underscore Family Culture. You can tune in on my site or on the variety of podcast broadcasting apps like iTunes, Stitcher, Podbean, TuneIn Radio, and even on YouTube. Just search Home and Family Culture with the ampersand between Home and Family Culture. Please remember to like, comment, share, and rate on whatever medium you choose. I would love to hear from you. Wendy Ulrich, Ph.D., MBA, has been a practicing psychologist for over 20 years and is the co-author with Dave Ulrich of the Wall Street Journal bestseller, The Why of Work, How Great Leaders Build Abundant Organizations That Win, 2010 McGraw-Hill, as well as other books on personal change, including Forgiving Ourselves, Getting Back Up When We Let Ourselves Down, and Weakness Is Not Sin, The Liberating Distinction that awakens our strengths. She is the founder of 16 Stones Center for Growth, providing seminar retreats on personal growth and creating an abundant life. And she is a learning partner with the RBL Group. She has taught psychology at Brigham Young University and is a fellow and former president of the Association of Mormon Counselors and Psychotherapists. So welcome, Wendy Ulrich. Thank you so much for being willing to be on my show. (laughs) Uh, Tell us a little bit about yourself and what inspired the 16 Stones Center for Growth. I have been, I'm a psychologist by training and have been interested in uh, how people grow and find joy, more joy in their lives for a long time. I'm very interested in healing, but also in helping us all to sort of fulfill our personal mission in life and move forward in a positive way. Um, It's not enough to heal. As important as that is, we want to thrive. So 16 Stones is both of those things. It's basically a small group format. Uh, I only take about five people at a time. We spend the day together talking about issues like forgiveness Mm -hmm. or um, closer to God or developing better relationships or a variety of topics. So um, it's been a lot of fun. We have great conversations and we learn a lot together. That's wonderful. So that's this topic of forgiveness that we wanted to talk about is so inspiring. And when I was thinking about this idea of how forgiveness is important to our family culture, the the words that came to my mind were meekness and humility, faith, and also vulnerability and trust. That if if you have all of those things in your family culture, then you can really thrive. And I saw that you wrote two books about forgiveness, this forgiving ourselves and getting back up when we let ourselves down. And well, 
I guess the weakness in, is not sin. It's not necessarily about forgiveness, but it kind of is too. Can you tell us some of our inspiration behind those books too? Yeah, I, I, I did Forgiving Ourselves because I had so many clients who struggled with this, and I think I struggle with it as well. I think it's a common thing for us to uh, feel like we, we should forgive other people, but a lot of times we're kind of shaming with ourselves and have a hard time letting go of our own mistakes and our own past. So I was trying with the book to give people some ways of applying some of the good principles in psychology from forgiving others to how we can forgive ourselves and where are some of the places that we get stuck. It's not just easy as flipping a switch to forgive others or to forgive ourselves. Sometimes there's a process involved. We have to do more than just choose. We have to sort of figure out what's stopping us from choosing uh, to be forgiving. And so that was where the idea of, of weakness not being sin uh-huh. became obvious to me that um, when we think everything we do wrong is a sin, it's really hard to forgive ourselves because we feel like we don't even have a right to, you know, it's like only God gets to forgive sin, you don't Uh get to forgive sins, you know, and, um, and we can feel like, you know, if the idea behind sin is you renounce a sin and you never do it again, well, we have all kinds of things that we do over and over and over again, Uh even though we tried not to. So I was trying to figure out the difference between those things and realize that there is a whole category of stuff in our lives that really isn't deliberate choice to be mean or to be rebellious or to be um, disobedient to God or or to act in ways that are against our own values. They're just the normal weaknesses that go with being human. Um, We have predispositions of all kinds. We have emotions of all kinds. We get overloaded. We have physical health problems, mental health problems. We get taught stuff that isn't true, that isn't helpful, that we believe, you know, because we were three when we taught it is the way life works. And, yeah. and we may not be conscious of those things. So we have all these challenges that we are dealing with that we're trying to sort of grow in and learn about and get better at. But if, if we see them as a sin, we have a hard time letting them go. If we see them as a weakness, then we can begin to realize, okay, this isn't something I just change my mind about and stop. I'm going to have to learn a process here. I'm going to have to be patient. I'm going to have to practice. I'm going to have to get help. I'm going to have to learn about this over a long period of time. I really love that because that's something that I'm learning right now in my life. I, I kind of been calling myself lately a recovering perfectionist, you know, yeah. that's, you know, yeah. I think that those, those go hand in hand that this, this you. You know, weaknesses are, is not a sin and, or, or not, you know, just saying I'm enough <laughs> is, is good, is, is, a, is a really yeah. healthy way to look at things. And, and you're right, it's a totally a process. You can't just wake up one morning, expect everything is going to be okay or perfect or right. Yeah. You know, right. that's one of the things that... Including it ourselves. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's like uh, there, when, I'm, when I struggle with this perfectionist idea, it's like if I wake up too late, I've already started the day off on the wrong foot, you know? Right. And it's hard to to forgive myself, like you say, to to just move on and say, it's okay. So I woke up a little bit late. I'm going to start from right now to go forward to go and go forward. And if I want to take a few minutes to say, well, let's look at that situation. Why did I get up late? Because I went to bed too late because I was trying to do things for too long last night or because I couldn't sleep because I got up with my child. Well, then I can say, okay, if I stayed up too late last night doing stupid things, things, let me change that. If I got up with my child and was tired in the middle of the night, that's living my values. And that's what is most important to me. So of course, I'm going to sleep in a little bit and that's okay. Yeah. Allow yourself some grace that it's okay. Yes. (laughs) 
And also tell us more about this idea that it's a process. You know, they, they say like, you know, when we talk about um, exercising our faith or, um, you know, that, that blessings come after the trial of our faith, you know, things like that. How can forgiveness, how can you describe how forgiveness is like a process and what you can do to forgive? in that process. Well, I'm, I'm grateful for the idea that uh, we don't have somebody just once. We have to forgive 70 times 7. And that doesn't necessarily mean because they do 70 times 7 things wrong. Sometimes it's because on one thing that's so been, been so painful in our lives that it, we're going to be triggered by that, um, by that pain over and over in our lives. And we may have to forgive the same offense over and over in our lives because it continues to impact us. It continues to affect the way that our lives go forward. If somebody has uh, hit me in a car accident that I think was their fault because they were drunk when they did it, and I'm, I'm a paraplegic as a result of that experience, I may not, it may not be enough to just say, well, you know, they were weak, they, they blew it. Um, every time I find myself dealing with a new aspect of my disability as a result of what happened, I may have to go back and say, you know, I have to let go. I have to move on. I, I, there's nothing I can do about the past, so let's, let's move forward. Um, one of my favorite expressions from a, a woman named Beverly uh, Flanagan who writes about forgiveness is that uh, forgiveness means letting go of ever of giving up hope, giving up hope of ever having a better past. Mm. And there's something really profound about that because we don't think we're hoping to have a better past. We know that that's not logically possible. But in some ways, that is kind of what we're hoping for. We're kind of imagining that the only way we're going to be able to move forward and be happy again is if we could go back and undo what's already happened, what someone else has already done to hurt us or what we've already done wrong, whatever it may be. So it's uh, an interesting thing that forgiveness, really forgiving someone is what lives, gives us the opportunity to live in the present yeah. and to go forward to the future rather than being stuck in us, which is a period of time that we cannot change and we cannot undo. I love that. That's not, that's very personal to me right now because I'm trying to. Our hus- my husband and I are working through some things from uh, like job crisis things and, you know, choices with our education or, you know, whatever it is. And we're just like, oh, I wish we could go back and do X, Y, and Z and fix this. And, and that's just not possible. You have to, like you say, live in the present and say, what can I do going forward? Yeah, one of the best uh, definitions of mental health I ever heard was that mental health is the ability to respond to what really is from our deepest values. And that means we have to start by recognizing what really is. What really is is what what has happened has happened, and we cannot change that. But we can decide what are my deepest values about this particular problem now that I am faced with and how do I want to go forward how can I learn from the past certainly and let me take the time to do that if I find myself um, in a situation that I I think I could have done something differently about if I've known then what I know now then I can spend some time talking and writing and thinking about what do I know now that I will take forward with me but then it's time to let go of things I can't change and that's the irony of it all is that if you if I could go back and do over again knowing what I know now but how would I know now unless I've gone through the things that I've gone through and so that can exactly. also maybe inspire a little bit of gratitude for the experiences yeah. that you've had 
And as you're talking about being present, that reminds me a lot about meditation and mindfulness and things like that. Does that ever come into your practice with talking about forgiveness? That's very helpful to a lot of people because it trains our minds in sort of um, what? It trains our minds in in seeing what we're thinking and taking a step back from it and watching the emotions go past without having to join them. And uh, that can be graining for, for all of us as we're trying to learn to live in the present. And when, when I think about that, too, it reminds me of the importance of the choices that we have then and on how when we observe those feelings coming in front of us, we, abs- we don't have to join them. We have that choice. There's a space between what's triggering the emotion and our reaction, and that's where our choice comes in. And absolutely. And Sounds it, like you have some experience with that. Well, <laughs> What's been your experience? Buddy? Yeah. Well, I've, when you have little children, <laughs> there's, uh-huh. there's, this, there's, and even I'm sure with adult children, grown up children and things, teenagers, I haven't experienced quite yet, but I definitely, you know, little children can trigger things inside of you that you just go, Oh, that really irks me. But, uh-huh. but to take it out on these innocent children, it's just, it's not right, you know, because they don't understand. And so, so whatever, the, whatever is going on is just inside of me. It's not something that they're doing. Uh-huh. It's what I interpret the situation is going on with, with the, what they're doing. And so uh-huh. I have to pause and recognize, okay, what am I feeling and how do I react to it? How, and, you know, the interesting thing, too, is that inside of all of us, like you talked about, there is that opposition, that we want to be one thing, but we, we struggle with it. And um, because the, we're, we're a natural man, and then at the same time, we have the Spirit of God both battling inside of us at the same time. And it's like, well, if I give in to the natural man, that's, is that weakness or is it sin? You know, and so we have to, you know, what is, what is the interpretation there? But, but at the same time, like, when we can just go, you know what, it's okay, or I forgive, you know, I need to repent or forgive. We find, we try to find the ability to more consistently respond to the Spirit of God side of us. And that's where the choices come in. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. I understand that Fiona uh, and uh, uh, Terrell Givens have a new book out. I have not read yet, but someone was telling me that one of the points they make is that this idea of a natural man is found in the um, in the Bible as well. And, uh-huh. and the more um, historical understanding of that term is, is not, it doesn't mean just how we're born, that it means an acquired kind of worldliness that we mm. acquire from living in this world. Um, we are we, we are not battling with our own selves as much as we are battling with the world and with the predispositions that we may have picked up at, from an early age, how the world sees things. Yeah. Um, but our, our natural state is innocent before God. Mm-hmm. And so, as you say, our little children don't, they, you know, they're just bonding to their bodies and to the world around them. And, and I think sometimes we, we can be helped when we see those other people in our lives is the barbells that we have to lift in order to acquire the characteristics that we want to learn and in order to live the values 
that we cherish and we uh, believe in with more integrity and with more grace in, a, in more and more challenging circumstances. If you want to get stronger, we were talking earlier about our mutual friend, um, Paul Schulte, but if we want to get stronger, as he has, you don't do that by just only picking up the easy problems in life or the easy, um, the easy ones on the... In or the, just in doing the, it once and going, oh, that was too hard. <laughs> You, you get stronger and you get muscle by carrying weight that's heavier and heavier. And if you want to play the game the way he does, that's what we have to do. Uh, we're here to learn to play the game, whatever our game is in life as best we can and to get stronger and stronger at it so that whatever the circumstances are that we're in, we can continually grow in our ability to respond to them from our deepest values. That's beautiful. So in the context of family culture and the way that, you know, the feelings in our home as we come into our home and we want to feel safe, we want to feel that we can be vulnerable and open about what's going on in our lives and these struggles that we're having. How can, how does that repentance, forgiveness, apologies, how can that, how does that work in your family in order to uh, cultivate that sense of vulnerability and safety. Well, it's a funny thing that you put those two words together. I think you're absolutely right to do that. But we don't think of being vulnerable as being safe. We think of being safe as being invulnerable and being beyond vulnerability. So we're trying, as you say, to learn to do both of those things at the same time, which is kind of a paradox that we struggle with. Yeah. Um, but it is when other people are willing to be vulnerable with us and to be open, to be honest, that we feel safe. I remember a couple I worked with years ago, um, the husband had had some issues with pornography. And of course, it had been a very difficult thing in their marriage because of the degree to which he was involved. He was really trying to come that tendency, work with it and to um, be responsible for it. But he knew that it was painful for his wife. And so he would sort of, when he would find himself tempted, or he would maybe slip up a little bit, he would, he would want to hide it from her because he didn't want her to feel unsafe. But she knew that this was an ongoing problem in people's lives. She knew it wasn't something people just turn a switch on. She knew it was going to take time and practice. She wanted to help him. She felt like it, the, the real genuine connection between them was going to be his best defense against the struggle and the temptation that he was dealing with. Wow. But she didn't know how to be present with him in that struggle unless she knew he was having it. So he was trying to hide his temptations. He was trying to hide from her the times when he was struggling. And what she said really made her feel safe was when he was willing to say, I am struggling, so that she could join him and help him and she could believe him. It, the trust wasn't developed by him hiding from her that he was having a hard time, which he thought was what she needed to feel safe. The trust was developed as he was willing to be vulnerable with her and admit he needed help or that he was having a hard time and let her help him. And that's where the trust really grows in relationships is when we're open with each other rather than hiding. So being vulnerable and open, that and, and that can strengthen your family because you feel, yeah, you feel more safe because you can, you express, you're able to express yourself, develop yourself, and then have that support and identity because you've, you have that narrative going on of safety and, and compassion. Yeah. Right. And I like this word. I recently was reading a book about, um, about your goals and it's called the 12 week year. And it, it talked about accountability not as, cons as 
not defined as consequences, but as ownership. And that when you have accountability for, for what's going on, then you take ownership of what's happening in, in your life or whatever it is that you're responsible for. And so like with this, this story about the couple that, you know, when he being accountable doesn't necessarily mean, well, he needs to be punished for what he was doing, but that he needs to just take ownership for it and be honest and open. And that that allows for the healing and the growth when, when he, he know he says, yes, this is my problem. This is what I'm dealing with. And that allows him to claim it in order to say, work on, on himself in order to heal. Would you say that that's true? Yeah, certainly. I like, I just like that term of like, and understanding that accountability doesn't mean, okay, you're in trouble because you're, you're the one that's responsible or you're accountable. It means right. I just own it. I just take this and this mine and, and I'm going to, whatever that means, whatever it is that I have to do to, to either correct the situation or just be responsible for it. Um, yeah. I can share a story along those lines. Um, when my, when my, I have a, a son who um, was a very big boy, he came into this world at 13 pounds and punch, you know, from the time he was pretty young, that was um, not that he was an aggressive kid as a rule, but he, you know, he's a normal child. He'd get frustrated. And, and when he did, he could, he could just decide to hit somebody and, and uh, could do some damage. And we had done a lot of work, you know, trying to figure out what's the best way to help him correct that behavior. We talked to him, we tried rewards and consequences and all kinds of things. And he just wasn't controlling that part of his, uh, of his life very well. So I talked to a colleague about it and said, you know, what do I do? And he said, well, where did, where did he learn to, to hit. And I said, I, I don't know. You know, we don't hit our children. I mean, I don't know. What are you talking about? And he said, well, did you spank him when he was little? Mm-hmm. And I really had to stop and pause because I thought, well, yeah, I, I did sometimes, you know, I'd get frustrated sure. and I'd get angry. I didn't always handle it very well. Um, I don't think I had really been a, a someone who was inclined to spank with my daughters, but he had a different personality and a different set of hormones. And so yeah. did I, maybe, I don't know, but I did sometimes spank him. And and so I had yeah, said, yeah, I guess I did. And he said, well, then there's your problem. And I said, well, wh- what do I do about that now? I haven't spanked him since he was three, you know, and, and uh, I don't think he even remembers that I spanked him. And he said, well, I don't know. You'll have to figure it out. So I thought about it and I thought, well, I guess, you know, the accountable thing to do as you, in, in the words you were using um, would be to apologize, to take responsibility for this. And I was a little embarrassed to do that. You know, I, he was now eight or nine years old, probably, and I, I didn't really want to take ownership for something that I felt like I had already corrected, and it was way old. I'm sure he didn't even remember, and what was the point of bringing this up? And all of that stuff was going through my head, but eventually I sort of said to myself, you know, your values are when you make, some, when you make a mistake, you apologize for it, mm-hmm. and it's never too late to do that, so let's get, get on with the program here. Yeah. So I went in one night and and I asked if I could talk to him and he cheerfully said sure mom you know go what's up and I said well I just I wondered if you thought about or remember that when you were a little kid and I'm kind of hemming and hawing you know that that you got spanked sometimes and he got really serious and sullen really fast and he said yeah and I said I, wow. I thought oh well I guess he hasn't forgotten after all that what do I do and so just out of curiosity kind of I said well Mike, so like, how often do you remember being spanked? 
And he said, every day. And I thought, oh boy, you wow. know, I, I, I didn't know what to make of that. And and I didn't do a very good job with this apology, but um, but I, I, you know, I was trying to kind of think, well, you know, I know I didn't spank him every day, but I don't want to deny his reality. That's not where we start. We start with empathy for the other person's behavior the other, or the other person's feelings, and we start there. And so I, I said, you know, Mike, I'm really sorry. I'm really, really sorry that it feels that way. I, I do want you to know that you didn't get spanked every Every day, but I can hear that it feels like you did, and that 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 was really hurtful to you, and that you didn't like it, and you're not, you know, that's not a ridiculous thing. I wouldn't like it either, and I was wrong. I made a mistake. I didn't handle that well. I wish I had found a better way to help you learn some of the things we were trying to learn together, and I hope you can forgive me. I'm, I really am sorry. And he didn't say anything more. He just laid there in his bed and I didn't know what else to do. I wasn't really experienced with this process, you know. And so I just yeah. kind of said, well, you want it, if you want to talk about this again, I would be happy to. But thank you for listening to me. And I'm really, I'm really sorry that I didn't handle that better. And um, I, I'm, I hope we can move on. And that was the end of the conversation. I just kind of slunk out of his room feeling kind of silly, but... Um, it was really curious to me that after a couple of weeks, I began to notice that he had completely, we, we had had no further incidents with him hitting wow. anybody. Wow. And, and as a matter of fact, as far as I know, I don't think my son's ever hit another person as long as he's lived. You know, he's, he's, he's got four children of his own now. And his wow. wife came to me when they started having kids and said, you know, I understand that you didn't spank in your family. Emily, so how did you raise your children? And I thought, wow. Well, <laughs> He's completely um, forgiven. As, as time went on, he completely forgot that he had ever been spanked. You know, I, he brought this up with many years later and, and he didn't remember that he'd been spanked. It was gone. It was finished. It was done with. And, and yet at the same time, that my son had a hitting problem in our family, at least his mom had had a hitting problem and mm. it was stuck in his brain. And, um, I don't know that that's universally true, and I'm not saying there might never, you know, there's never a time to spank a child. Maybe there is. That's not the point I'm trying to make. But the point is that apologizing really can change things for, in a positive way and change the, the feeling in a home and can sometimes change people's behavior and change even our memory of how the past worked. Well, and that's something that I'm trying to address with this podcast is that, you know, that our behaviors are all just a manifestation of our beliefs. And that when, when you want to change the behaviors you do, you need to address the beliefs behind the behaviors and find out what they are, evaluate, change, and work at the beliefs. And because everything is created first mentally and then physically. And then, and so when you work at those beliefs, then the behaviors change and that's that they are that's what's manifest and so yeah I I I guess I would I would take a little bit of issue with that I I think most most of what we um, experience in our life I would totally agree with we create an image in our minds of what something means and we respond what that meaning is to us okay um, whether or not real and then we we put that behavior in place but there are realities in people's lives 
that predate our thoughts about them. Um, yeah. Children children have a physical reality of being hungry or of being hurt or of, or we have a physical reality of, of being ill or being exhausted or whatever it might be that can, um, that can influence the way we think about things and can influence the mm. thoughts that we have. Yes. And those physical realities sometimes come first and we need to be sometimes a little bit compa- more compassionate perhaps with ourselves and with others about what our own, uh, mo- our bodies are doing to our brains and not mm. just the other way around. Thank you for clarifying that. I appreciate that. That's a really good point. Thank you. Well, I think I really loved this discussion. I think that it's really important that we remember that we can forgive and that it influences the feelings that we have in our home and that apologies can really change the situation in our, in our homes. A couple of quick pointers on this. When you want to apologize, um, it really helps not to, not to become a martyr about it. Oh, I'm so sorry. I'm a mother. I'm, you know, you must be really angry with me because I'm always messing this up. It's not helpful. That's making the discussion about us and not about the person that we've hurt. But when we can just calmly and honestly say, you know, I, I think I really messed up about this, or I, I, I can see that this has really hurt you. And when we can own our own accountability for something and, and acknowledge the feelings of the other person, then we're in the ground of, a, of an effective apology that says, even if we don't feel we did anything wrong, to say, I can see this really hurt you, and mm-hmm. I need to understand why and see how we can fix that and how we can manage this kind of situation better in the future. We can at least do that. And if we know we did something wrong, if we value, if we violated our own values in the situation, we can certainly say, you know, I really had hoped that I would be able to handle this differently, or this is really not my intention and um, to, to be acting in this way, or I'm really trying to work on this, but what can I do to make it up for to you? What can we do the next time so this doesn't happen again? Is there more? This is what I plan to do. Is there more that would be helpful? Are all questions that help sort of acknowledge we've got responsibility in this uh, for for the, uh, another person's feelings being hurt that we can work on even if it wasn't our intention to be hurtful yeah, yeah. Um, so that can be helpful so apologizing another question that triggered another question in me is how do you forgive somebody then who doesn't feel like they did anything wrong yeah, that's one of those tricky things where <laughs> that idea of weakness versus sin can come into play. Mm-hmm. Because if we're if we're seeing something as a sin, as in they violated the the normal um, understanding that everybody should have of what's right and wrong, then of course we're going to be angry. If they're looking at it and saying, "A, I don't think that was wrong," or "B, that was just a weakness that I'm struggling with, but it wasn't a an intentional or rebellious violation of values." Um, then we're going to have some difficulties. If we can learn to see other people as as weak as we are sometimes, that they're struggling with their weaknesses and we're struggling with ours, sometimes that helps us get out of this idea that did something that everyone should know is a violation of, of human basic ethics. Um, we all have different ideas about what matters and what doesn't. And sometimes the things that we get really upset about are, you know, my husband doesn't put his socks away. Well, okay, this not a this is not a human value that everyone should know. This is differences in how people manage day to day life. Yeah, it can bug. 
And we, we, it may go deeper to, he doesn't care about my feelings, but the chances are that that's not what he's thinking when he puts his socks on the floor is, oh, my wife really hates this, but I don't care. He's right. just not thinking about this. He hasn't been sensitized to that issue the same way that you have. So we need a lot of compassion and a lot of, of patience with each other and with ourselves as we're trying to learn to get along with people who see the world inherently differently than how we do. But that's not necessarily a sin. Sometimes it's just our human weaknesses of how we've been raised differently, how we approach the world differently. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Thank you. So, Wendy, tell us one more time, or tell us where we can find your your books and any services that you have available. Uh, Sixteen Stones Center for Growth is uh, sixteenstones.net on the internet and. Uh, a, a, a fun opportunity. I don't do very many of these seminars. They don't come up very often, so uh-huh. um, they're just kind of a fun thing. But the books are more widely available on Amazon.com. Certainly, you can get um, any of my books, Forgive Yourselves, uh, Habits of Happiness, Weakness is Not Sin. Um, these are some of the things I've been working on. Awesome. I'll make sure to have those links in my show notes so that my audience can can find you and learn more. Well, thank you so much. Thank you, Jody. I love talking to people who have so much experience and insight. I really enjoy talking with Wendy, and I think this is a topic that I could talk about for days. I can't wait to read her books and check out some of the other books she talked about in this episode. You can find links to all of these references in my show notes at homeandfamilyculture.com. I would love to hear your thoughts about this topic in your, your comments, or you can connect with me on social media at Family Culture Podcast on Facebook and Instagram and at underscore Family Culture on Twitter. Thank you again for listening. Please rate and share. I love your feedback.